2: Hello oh, and welcome to the latest episode of FFS, another Brexit podcast. And after a week's break, I'm back. I'm Amanda.
3: And I'm Jason. Welcome back.
2: Hi, thank you. Good you glad to have, to have, you have, you have back.
3: me back, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do I sound convincing? Of mm-hmm. course <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also happy to have you back. So we're both here to give you all of the highs and lows of the Brexit debate. But let's be honest, it's, it's mostly lows. Great well
2: straight back to being <laughs> straight back to being optimistic with Jason but despite that we're going to try and be optimistic in our discussion and include our usual diverse range of perspectives that might make you feel a bit more hopeful about the whole thing.
3: Yeah we'll, we'll see.
2: So, <laughs> this week we have a really interesting guest on our podcast. Now, he is from the same party as our guest last week, but it's a very recent move.
3: Yes, that's right. We've got the former Labour slash former Change UK slash now current Liberal Democrat MP who will be joining us on the podcast. Stay tuned to find out what he thinks of Brexit, Labour, the Lib Dems and the changing tides of British politics.
2: So we usually start with a bit of an introduction to FFS, but people might be sick of that by now. I kind of hope not. Surely not. not. On our fourth episode, but you literally never know. So instead, we think we're going to start beginning each week by telling you a little something, a punchy something about somebody from FFS.
3: Yeah, sharing is caring and we, we care. A lot.
2: All right, cute. So, Jason, you're one of the co-founders of FFS. How did you end up supporting a people's vote?
3: I think I'm probably like a lot of people who, after the referendum, um, was pretty devastated by the result, but essentially had accepted that it was going to happen. And so let's have some form of soft Brexit so that it's not a complete calamity. And I think, essentially month after month, year after year, ultimately, it just became clear that the whole thing was a shit show. Um, <laughs> just, to be, just, to be, just to be frank. Um, and just this frustration that, I guess, you know, clearly young people are opposed to Brexit. Their voices didn't seem to be heard in the Brexit debate. You know, as an ethnic minority, I didn't really see or hear from uh, ethnic minorities, you know, influencing the debate, you know, increasing hate crimes, you know, it felt as though something needed to be done. And so like a fool, I decided to try and do something with you and Richard. Ah, um,
2: God, that was so nice until yeah, the last yeah, sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so last week on the podcast, to be clear, you said you weren't missing me and now you've called yourself a fool for starting a campaign. Yeah, I'm me.
3: being way too aggressive on these podcasts. I was, no, But obviously, I, like, it's been an incredible 14, 15 months. Uh, and I'm glad that we're able to play our small part. Or big part in the broader people's vote campaign, but it's definitely frustration that led me into your arms, Amanda.
2: Uh yeah. Good bit of rowing back there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and now onto the section of the podcast where we talk about things that have, for good or bad reasons, grabbed our attention in the past week. Amanda, what's floated your boat.
2: So for me it has to be has to be london pride that was at the weekend it was last saturday it felt like the entirety of london's lgbtq plus community and to be fair also basically the whole of london took to the streets and the people's vote campaign we were there in Force. We were led by LGBT+, for a people's vote, and the wonderful team uh, who run that campaign. And there was dozens of volunteers. There's hundreds of people signing up. The atmosphere was incredible. And there was, of course, a drag, Theresa May, and Boris Johnson. So a good it time reflect, was
3: incredible. had
2: by <laughs> yeah. all. It was genuinely brilliant. And the atmosphere was amazing. Such a high proportion of the LGBT community support a people's vote mm. for quite obvious reasons around like their rights that have been hard won. And it was just a... Absolutely brilliant, genuinely brilliant day.
3: Yeah, because I mean, there is genuine concern that those rights are going to be lost by Brexit. And you know,
2: yeah, yeah, and I mean, when you see the elitist people who have been championing Brexit for so long, when you see who they're aligning themselves with on like a European level, it's actually really, I yeah. think it's really yeah, easy to yeah, understand yeah. why that percentage is so high.
3: Yeah, definitely. And then we're still going upwards and onwards. Is that a phrase?
2: I think mean, onwards and upwards is the phrase, but okay.
3: Okay, I'm just, again, talking nonsense. I, I feel like every episode I say a phrase that isn't really a phrase.
2: Well, I mean, let's not try and make that a new thing.
3: <laughs> anyway, so we went to Sunderland's Beacon of Light last Sunday as part of the People's Vote Let Us Be Heard campaign. So big shout out to FFS's Alicia Stansfield, who absolutely smashed it as well.
2: Was genuinely brilliant on stage with the likes of David Lammy and I think was the highlight for a lot of people. Yeah clearly always the highlight for us but i do genuinely had rave reviews so shout out to alicia for that one
3: well done alicia you're amazing for me uh do you watch strictly
2: no i barely watch tv to be honest
0: okay
3: well i mean obviously for those i mean most of the listeners won't have met me for those who have met me uh, you know huge lad manly man that i am (laughs) You wouldn't expect that I am a huge Strictly fan. I'm not surprised at all, just in <laughs> I know you don't mean that. Um, but, dear listener, I am a big fan of Strictly. And I remember back in 2010 when uh, a little old lady was struggling with the foxtrot or the jive or whatever it was. And she, uh, you know, made the nation fall in love with her.
2: Oh, poor woman. Who was that lady? <laughs> I dread to think, but I feel like you mean Anne Widdecombe.
3: Anne Widdecombe. Oh, I take Anne it all back. <laughs> Anne Widdecombe. at that time was loved by the nation. She managed to uh, convince everyone to forget all of her nasty views on uh, the LGBT plus community, on a women's right to, uh, to choose and have an abortion. She managed to uh, get us to forget all of that because she couldn't dance very well. And in the last week and a half in particular, we have seen Mm. the kind of nasty Anne Widdicombe return. So A, you've got the kind of nonsense of the Brexit party um, doing the whole turning their backs to Ode of Joy stuff, which is just embarrassing for the country. But then her comments about how us leaving the EU was you know, us as slaves turning on our oppressors, it's just offensive. It's just insanely offensive to accuse the European Union of enslaving our country, particularly given this country's history. And I also, like, it just
2: completely rubs out their entire, oh, you know, we're leaving the European Union, we're not leaving Europe. Like, these people are literally our friends and allies. And even if Boris Johnson gets his way and we crash out on October 31st, on November 1st, we're still going to have to work with them. 100%. Basic civility would be nice, I'm really honest.
3: for, For a group of people who constantly talk about Bringing pride back to the country, they constantly embarrass us. I think so. Yeah,
2: um, that was your that was your highlight of the week, wasn't? Well,
3: yeah. <laughs> the highlight is Anne Woodicombe further uh, exposing herself <laughs> for the nasty piece of work <laughs> she is.
2: Great, lovely, <laughs> yeah, but
3: still watch Strictly.
2: So we couldn't really move on without saying anything about. The Labour Party, obviously we will have Chucker on here and he's got lots of opinions and views on that. But on the day of recording, the Labour Party have managed to try and convince themselves that they've suddenly done a massive about turn and Mm. everyone's now going to love them and all the young people are going to go flocking back to them. Do you
3: love them? Are you flocking back to them?
2: Uh, No, because they've (laughs) sent one email to Labour members and a press release saying... We now back a referendum and Labour, if in opposition and to stop no deal and to stop a conservative Brexit will campaign to remain. One email does not equal Mm. a campaign. It is not unequivocal backing. Mm. And I think they are expecting hundreds and hundreds of people to come back positively. And I think they're going to be deservedly, in my honest opinion, hugely, hugely disappointed. Are
3: we, be, are we being harsh to them? If Owen Jones was here, if Owen Jones was here, he would say, this is what you wanted. We've been unequivocal now. He sent the email and you're still criticising him.
2: I think that is naive at best of people like him. And I have no idea what he has or might say about it. Mm. But to think that one sentence is suddenly going to make up for two, nearly no, three years of unbelievable ambiguity is actually, frankly, quite insulting to the intelligence of the majority of people in this country, who at mm. one point thought that the Labour Party stood for internationalism and reaching across borders and working with our allies and friends across the EU.
3: Right. So Jezza, you've still got work to do.
2: Uh, understatement <laughs> from me.
3: Anyway, right. So onwards, for F's sake, I'm not saying the bad word. Um... <laughs> So we're going to be going into the belly of the beast this weekend as FFS and the rest of the People's Vote campaign descend upon the constituency of Boris Johnson himself in Oxbridge. Ooh. So <laughs> was that, that, was, Ooh. that was the worst heckle ever. Ooh.
2: <laughs> the belly of the beast. You made it sound so terrifying. <laughs> no, no,
3: no. Um, but so it's worth saying that it's been confirmed that Shadow Foreign Secretary Emily Thornberry herself will be speaking on a People's Vote platform For the first time.
2: Finally, if I may say so. One, good, good on her. And two, finally.
3: Yeah. Go on, Em. Go on, Emily. So go to the People's Vote website to sign up for the event on Sunday, the 14th of July.
2: So following on from Jason's delightful onward for fuck's sake, I've got no problem saying that word. (laughs) Um, Speaking of Boris Johnson, today, the day of recording is the one year anniversary of when he resigned his post as Foreign Secretary shortly after the Chequers summit and raising a toast to our to our not-much-longer-left Prime Minister, mm. Theresa May. Um, this is an inglorious occasion to remind everyone that the most senior Brexiters have been in charge of Brexit. They've literally been in charge of Brexit, him and David Davis, since 2016. And they have no one to blame for it going badly but themselves. And sometimes a bit of self-reflection never goes amiss, Boris Johnson.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at yourself in the mirror, Boris.
2: You've suddenly gone very self-reflective,
0: Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree.
1: That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: So and now it's the bit everybody's been waiting for: time to interview our very special guest this week and a supporter of FFS literally since day from one from the
3: start. From the stars, yeah. Chuka
2: Amuna, welcome, Chuka, and thanks so much for joining thanks us. Thanks for
4: having me on. No, it's a privilege. I'm, I'm honoured. <laughs> it's emotional. It's, it, been, it's emotional. been a long journey for yeah. you and me. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah definitely. That, that <laughs> is definitely true. <laughs> um, you've had a, you've had an interesting year. It's been quite quiet yeah really. <laughs> yeah. yeah nothing nothing much is, much has happened in your world no how, how are you feeling just like generally because uh, it's it's a big thing to... it's a big
4: well it's a big thing to have done all the different things I've done this year. Do I have any regrets big substantial regrets? absolutely not are there little things you might have done differently yep. But I think the main thing is to be driven by your values, uh, the interests of your community and the interests of the country. And uh, that is what has driven me. And uh, to be honest, I haven't uh, chosen the easiest route and I haven't made the easy choices or, or I've certainly made some difficult choices and certainly not the choices you do if you were a narcissist and it was all about you. Um, uh, You know, whatever people say about what I've done, I think you could probably say, unless you think I'm stupid, that um, I haven't done things out of self-interest. I've done it to try and uh, further the cause of stopping this ridiculous disaster called Brexit that's unfolding around us, but also actually furthering a more progressive and liberal politics that wants to build a more open, inclusive, internationalist Britain, which seeks to solve its problems with all its different peoples working Mm. together as opposed to being at each other's throats and othering people.
3: Well, let's well, okay. Well, let's let's dive into some of that then. Mm. But before we do, mm. standard thing we do on every podcast, we ask our guests to nominate an individual or a piece of furniture, as Laura yeah. Parker from Momentum did, um, who they would like to receive the FFS Award for doing something ridiculous or absurd in the Brexit Brexit sphere. Who would you go for, Bill Cash? And
4: actually, he should have the Lifetime Achievement Award for Absurdity. Interesting. Why why, why, why like that, cash? His tweet that we should be worried that the German Defence Minister mm. is going to become the President of the European Commission if they are approved by the European Parliament it was actually pretty bloody offensive, in my view. Right. And uh, fails to appreciate it's 2019. It's not 1939. Yeah. It did
2: read like something from a, I think you're right, like a completely different not even decades, just century, didn't it? I remember like Well, in a way, that. you
4: know, I don't, yeah, I'm no, 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 nothing against him personally. Uh, Bill and I have uh, debated this Brexit issue many times before, but that was a really stupid comment. It,
3: it is insane how much of the Brexit debate does feel like either harks back to the war and blitz spirit, uh, either explicitly or implicitly. And mm-hmm. that, I guess that tweet is that right it's it a, just rid- it got to scared it, of the germans it was thing. a ridiculous thing
4: to say yeah it mm-hmm. really was so he gets the award but more than that the lifetime achievement award and all of that because it's <laughs> okay. not it's not the first time he's indulged in that kind of nonsense yeah,
2: yeah. i got that's our first lifetime achievement award yeah, 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 yeah. can definitely have i like it one. i
4: can just make up awards on this show yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's i mean G-Y thank you. You. Do yeah. it. Do it. <laughs> you you've done it now
2: <laughs> anyway so a little bit less of like a Lifetime Achievement Award, but more kind of focused on young people, as FFS is slightly obsessed with, I think it's fair to say. Um, You and I and everybody know that young people are overwhelmingly against Brexit. Mm. And I'm just quite interested if you think that That is the main reason potentially driving young people towards the Lib Dems. But despite everything that happened in the coalition, do you think a lot of young people have forgotten that? Do you think they've just, Brexit is the most overwhelming thing? Or do you actually think that they're doing it despite what happened in the coalition?
4: I think that definitely the biggest issues I find with young people in my constituency, I have over 25 schools in the constituency, and I try and visit at least one every single week. Mm. And I've been very struck how from primary school age through to secondary they are more politicized than i think i've ever seen in my almost 10 years as an mp now yeah and the two big issues for them is climate change in the environment and brexit mm. yeah, definitely. um uh so i think you know that those are the big issues i think for a lot of young people though i mean you know primary school age uh when the uh, Liberal Democrats were last in government was a time when they were like two or three years old for a lot of those uh, uh, children. And for the teenagers, again, it's quite a long time ago for them. You know, it was five years, uh, sorry, four years coming on five years now yeah. since the Liberal Democrats were in government. Clearly, the party has changed and uh, is been very open and honest about mistakes that were made. We are an anti-austerity party. We stood on an anti-austerity manifesto in 2017 and have voted in accordance with it. Uh, the tuition fees debacle, I think there's a, there has been a very open acknowledgement that that pledge should never have been made in the first place and that it did a, a, a lot of damage to levels of trust. But I think because the party, right from the get-go after 20 that 2016 referendum, was resolutely... Uh, arguing for a people's vote even before I reached that place Um, and to stay in the European Union uh, at a time when it wasn't the most popular thing to say and it just stuck to its guns and its principles on that issue, I think has won the party a second hearing and people being prepared to give them another go, give us another go, give us another chance. And so I think the way people look at the party now is quite different from the way they, they, they looked at it four or five years ago. Myself included.
3: Some of the resurgence uh, of the Lib Dems is almost undoubtedly due to uh, the Labour Party's position, the fact that there hasn't been clear on Brexit up until arguably today. So I'm interested to know... They're, they're clear on it now? Well, that, that I'm interested to know your thoughts on the announcement from Corbyn that Labour will back another referendum, that its position will be remain, at, you know, do you buy it? I assume you're still going to say no, and if not, why not? And what impact do you think that will have on the Lib Dem's electoral chances? Well,
4: it's continued constructive ambiguity. So I think whatever, in a way, the party has doomed itself because if it tilts in a more unequivocally remained position, nobody's going to particularly believe it has done so out of principle. It's going to think, you know, most people will think, well, they've done so out of political expediency off the back of a poor set of results and the threat posed to the Labour Party by the Lib Dems uh, uh, and, and equally if it tipped in a more leave direction then I'm not sure people will particularly believe the Labour Party otherwise and, and what you see having happened this week uh, following the TULO statement the trade union labour organisation and, and, and the shadow cabinet meeting this week is continued constructive ambiguity and a attempt to try and please everybody all of the time so if you're a Remainer Uh, the position is, well, if there is a conservative deal or no deal on the table, there has to be a people's vote on that. So that kind of tonally sounds like you're for a people's vote, but of course there are terms and conditions attached to that that I'll come on to. Um, And if you are a Leave voter, well, if uh, a snap general election is precipitated in the autumn, the Labour Party is committed to negotiating a different Brexit deal to facilitate Brexit. So it's trying to face both ways all the time, and I think this points to a wider existential crisis that the Labour Party has. The Tory Party has this too, in some senses, which is that our political system and constitution, of which you know it's a two-party system with two main parties at its heart, was born of a different Britain of the 20th, 20th century. Mm-hmm. 21st century Britain is very different. Uh, people in the 20th century tended to vote on left-right lines, class lines. You know, whether you were mm-hmm. a worker and labour, whether you were capital and business you can't neatly divide 21st century Britain into those categories because workers own capital and vice versa. Um, But also left-right isn't quite the determining factor in class, not quite the determining factor in how you vote in the 21st century. And the problem that Labour's got is, you know, crudely, two-thirds of uh, Labour constituencies voted to leave the European Union, but two-thirds of Labour voters voted to stay in the European Union and it's been constantly trying to have its cake and eat it and hold together this uh, coalition which was a 20th century voting coalition for the party, if you look at it in those terms, but isn't really going to be able to deliver the goods in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the the wider existential crisis faced by, by Labour. And uh, it, is, it is refusing, it is trying to hold together a, a coalition, which I'm not sure is going to be sustainable or can, or can be reconciled. And this goes, mu- this goes far beyond having a Brexiter leader and shadow chancellor who campaigned for decades to leave the European Union. Is a bigger problem that the parties faced on this issue.
3: Mm. What was your personal relationship like with Corbyn and McDonnell out of interest?
4: I didn't really have much contact with John McDonnell. I had more contact with Jeremy on a few issues. Um, I didn't find him particularly, uh, you know, unpleasant, I always found it quite pleasant to deal with. Um, but I think the problem that I have with him is that it's all very well to behave in a gentle, unpleasant fashion, but the politics and the political culture that you create and the people you associate with um, cannot be disaggregated from you. Um, and I think he bears personal responsibility for the arid, um, aggressive, unpleasant nature of some of the culture that has developed in the party since he became mm. the leader. And of I mean, you personally
3: got, got it quite a bit, didn't you? The momentum videos kind of mm. trying to goad mm. you into, mm. well, into leaving, which is, which is ultimately what you did. Mm. Yeah. Um, when you look back at the last three or four months now, in terms of what went wrong, What would you specifically pin down as a, I wish I I had focused more on that. I wish we had focused more on that in terms of change UK. I actually think the, I have a
4: huge amount of respect for the colleagues that um, I left uh, the two main parties with and and formed the independent group and then changed because I think uh, it's fashionable to, you know, uh, decry or, you know, uh, revel in the the failure of change to do better at the European elections. But I think there are two things I'd say. First of all, I thought that that the advent of the independent group provided a vital and very important injection of energy into the radical, liberal, progressive centre ground in British politics, which frankly has been in retreat since 2012-2013, which saw the emergence of the populist right in UKIP and then the populist left in the Labour Party. So I think for all those millions of politically homeless people who want to see change in our country but do not believe in the populist left right way, it finally there was like an outpouring of thank God somebody is talking up for us and saying, up with this we won't put. And it also provided a very important injection of energy into the Liberal Democrats. It forced my party to up its game. And that's what so many of people have said to me. Um so I think that was very important. Um to the extent I think there was a mistake made, uh, and this is uh, this is very much a personal view and a, a personal acceptance of responsibility, is that I think my read that at The point that I left the Labour Party, people wanted a new party, a new force in British politics, was not quite right. I don't think institutionally there was actually as much of a desire for a new party as many of us thought. Um, There was a desire for a new politics, a radical pro-European progressive centre ground politics. But that's Mm. quite different from institutionally wanting a new party. And I think what we certainly learned from the two sets of elections, the locals and Europeans, is that actually what people are seeing in that space, which is a lot of people in British politics, in Britain, not never mind politics, wanted was for actually all those forces to work uh, together um, to consolidate and get our ducks in a row. Mm. And we are now doing that. You've seen that uh, the Green Party and Plyde are backing the Liberal Democrats in Brecon and Radnorshire, um, having felt to be able to you know, successfully do... You know, create an arrangement in Peterborough. So I think that's kind of if there was a mistake. That's and I've held my hands up and you know, kind of, uh, kind of said that. Um, I, some of the other stuff like you know, change's name and the emblem. I, I think actually wasn't the fundamental problem that change had. The fundamental problem change had was that remain voters and remain and remain leave dictates more how you vote than any party affiliation. We're looking for what is the strongest force for our politics and our values who can you know, get the most MEPs in the European elections and then afterwards do the best in the general election, who's resilient, who's got the infrastructure? And a very clear answer was given to that. Um, and I also think actually in a first-past-post system, there is only really one space for one um, progressive liberal party, really, and, and it's there already. And the, the really refreshing thing is, is that I don't think anyone in my party is drunk on the success it's had. Mm. The party wants to expand the bandwidth. It wants to go into an election to win, and we can get into power. Um, and Do you we think
3: to... in, in the current system, the Absolutely. current electoral system? Absolutely, we are
4: level-pegging in the polls with the Labour Party at the moment. Um, and we, unlike the Brexit Party, which is also doing well in the polls, we actually have an infrastructure out in the country, which makes mm. a big difference. So going into the 2010 election, people would have laughed at you, uh, that, you know, if you suggested that the Dems, Lib Dems, we could be in government. I don't think people will be doing that whenever the next general election comes. We could be absolutely decisive in Mm -hmm. the shape of a future government. And so uh, I, I, you know, so I'm actually full of a lot of hope and optimism. Um, And I think that the important thing is, it's not a question of who to blame and what huge mistakes were made. It's really what do we learn from what has happened and do we respond to what the public are saying to us? or do we put our heads in the sand? And I was, you know, I was very quick in terms of my, uh, analysis of what was going on, um, and I'd never been particularly tribal. If I thought that the Liberal Democrats were the answer, immediately after I left the Labour Party, I would have immediately joined them. Mm. Um, but I, I wasn't convinced at that point, nor were a lot of Liberal Democrats themselves. Um, Do so you think more,
2: more in current independent MPs, either part of the independent <coughs> group or just independent will be joining the Liberal Democrats soon? I'm sure you hope they are, but do yeah, you actually Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think were?
4: everybody is on their journeys and trying to work out what the best thing to do is in their communities and the nation's interests. And only they will know if they reach that destination and whether they believe that is the best way forward. But my judgment was that it is absolutely the best way forward and I have absolutely no regrets. And, and I kind of regret, if I have one regret,
3: it's not joining the Liberal Democrats sooner, to but be are honest. You, are you having conversations with other MPs who are, who are thinking about it? Are they shared that they're on that journey with you? Yeah. Tell us who. That
4: would be telling. But I, I mean, I look. I, I do have immense respect for people who chose to stay and change UK and believe that you know carrying yeah. on as it was was the right thing to do. And I do have you know a huge amount of respect for colleagues who reach a different view about the Labour Party and have chosen to stay and fight. I just have a different analysis of mm. of, of what the future holds.
2: So I mean, you kind of you've kind of touched on it a little bit, and one of the reasons that you. Was such a leader within like the creation of Change UK was wanting to see a new type of politics rather than just a new political party or mm. like just a new grouping of people. And I think a lot of people who maybe aren't so kind of looped in with what's going in in Brecon or what didn't happen in Peterborough would be interested to know what evidence is there so that the Lib Dems are like the vehicle to deliver that type of new politics when they're not essentially a new political party or a new political grouping. Mm. Do you have well, any other Well, the first thing there? I would
4: say is that The party is working on an unprecedented level on a cross-party basis with other parties. Um, And you see that with the Remain Alliance, which we've managed to put in place in Brecon. Um, But also a lot of the work that happens on Brexit, uh, the the, the Liberal Democrats are right in the middle of it, the cross-party work that is happening. In Parliament, And let's not forget, you know, like I said, the people who were making the argument for the whole proposition that we're all now and have been campaigning for for the last two years were the Liberal Democrats when everybody was saying, this is a dead duck, it's not a cause. So I'd say, I'd say that's the, the first thing. The second thing is, it isn't like, I'm clearly, you know, one of my criticisms of why politics is so broken is that it's too tribal and you've got people making things in personal and party interests decisions and not in the wider interest. Now clearly, I've been a member of three parties this year, and I'm putting, you know, I illustrate that I'm not tribal. It's not about the party interest and blind loyalty to a party that's pursuing the wrong course. But actually the liberal Democrats want to expand the bandwidth. You know, they're not we're not we know we are not precious about people joining us and coming to us from other parties. So long as they agree with our values, that's the number one thing for us, right. And I think thirdly, there is a different culture in the party. There, I, I mean, I feel it. Um, the party likes policy. It isn't factional. It doesn't behave like a traditional party in that sense, although it does have the wrinkles of an established party, of course. And there is a premium on evidence. You have to, like, as a front bencher, you can't just presume that everyone's just going to buy your line because you're you know, in a leadership position in the party, you, you have to argue it and win the argument. Mm. Whereas in the Labour Party, you often have to stitch and fix and get the relevant affiliated parts of the party on board and, you know, people often back a position partly because of favours owed and stitch and fix. It doesn't yeah. work like that in the Liberal Democrats. That old kind of machine politics doesn't operate quite in the same way in the Liberal Democrats.
2: Do you, so this is literally a question that like, my auntie asked me the other day and mm. I just didn't know the answer. How much of that is literally just down to the size, the current size of the Lib Dems? And if you mm. started to divide the current size into factions... Yeah. Sure, they've got like majorities and minorities, but it becomes a really quite divided in a very small party. Whereas the Labour Party, the factions are actually huge. Some of them.
4: Well, I think there's that there, there isn't that the the party was born in 1988 in its current form and had always been a coming together, a marriage of social democrats and liberals, social democrats who had liberal values and liberals who uh, were not quite as liberal on the economics, as it were, and so. That is part of what it is. Its identity is is it's this fusion of those two political traditions in a way,
2: right?
4: Um, and and they're not in tension; they're complementary. Whereas I would say that the traditions in the Labour Party, um, from the Marxist tradition through to you know the social democratic liberalism that I have, is is has been in constant tension, and it has gone through these civil war periods in the eighties, but then Gatesville versus you know Bevan during that time as well, so th- th- that you've always had this tension between the different parts of the, you know what make up the Labour tradition. Whereas I, my sense, and look, I've been in the the Liberal Democrats for a month, but my, my sense is that it is much more of a complementary relationship.
3: The impression, I guess, though, from the coalition years was that you you, you had your social democratic wing, but you also had your orange bookers, right? You had your David Laws, your Nick Cleggs, who actually felt relatively comfortable with uh, the Tories line on economics and on fiscal policy. My sense is, is that's not where you're at. And actually you would be very distant from some of the policies that were Implemented from 2010 to 2015. So, how do you marry that up? How do you feel comfortable in a party where actually some of your peers would say, Yeah, actually, you know, we did the right thing. We took the hard choices for the well, sake of the country. The,
4: the the consensus view, and I haven't really heard anyone disagree with this, is that debt and deficit reduction was necessary. And actually, that was the argument that we were making in the Labour Party exactly the same time. Where they the, the difference in view was was the speed with which deficit reduction should be carried out and the extent to which the burden of reducing the debt and the deficit should fall on public spending cuts and tax rises and, and what was the correct mix. So for all the arguments that we had, actually... There wasn't a disagreement on the principle; it was on how to do it, and, and just on that. And, and on 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 the question, I disagreed with the time frame, and mm. subsequently, the Liberal Democrats and the senior economic spokespeople and figures in that government, like Vince, have been clear that that the, the time frame, at the outset of that government, was not right. And secondly, the mix of spending cuts to tax rises was also not quite right. So they have, you know, been very clear. But also remember that. Um, The most egregious cuts actually came with George Osborne's 2015 budget after the government, uh, Tory government, was um, elected. So that's where you had the big cuts to universal credit, housing benefit for young people being um, cut, etc. And also don't forget that actually Alistair Darling's plan was to halve the deficit over four years. The coalition actually did the same thing over five years. Mm. Um, So... Uh, I'm not going to change. I haven't changed my views on uh, whether the deficit reduction time frame was too short. It was. It should have been longer. And I'm not changing my views on the mix of spending and tax. The the thing is, is the Liberal Democrats have, and they've also said that they got things wrong, like the bedroom tax, Mm. and they stood on twenty fifth, twenty seventeen manifesto, which was an anti austerity one and have voted in accordance with it ever since. So.
3: so in the past, your statements that, you know, the working class will neither forgive nor forget the Lib Dems for mm. their role in supporting Tory austerity. Is your view that essentially, actually, working people are now prepared to to mm. forgive and forget that?
4: Mm. Mm. And, I think that's the case. And, you know, if you look at the Labour Party, it's a completely different topic. It's the, That's an issue of economics, but the Labour Party's situation with the Iraq war was a matter of war and peace. Lots of people fundamentally disagreed with the Iraq war. I did, actually. Um, who are prepared to look past that and accept that parties ebb and flow and they change and they're Mm -hmm. not set in aspect.
2: so we're kind of on to our last question it's gone pretty quickly i think it'd be fair to say but obviously the one thing that absolute one thing i think everyone here has in common is we really want a people's vote and put a lot of time and and energy into campaigning for one realistically now we need to get a significant number of more conservative mps to vote for it and I was wondering who do you who do you think they are where are they going to come from which big name MPs might suddenly under a Boris Johnson led government come round and come charging to the people's vote campaign maybe slightly Uh, reluctantly so
4: I'm not going to give the names (laughs) because the conservative wits office will be (laughs) making a note and then they will go to work on these individuals
3: it's nice to think that the conservative whips are listening to this podcast. They
4: they, they may well
3: do. <laughs>
2: yeah. I might start sending it to them.
4: <laughs> I would not, I, would not, um, I, I wouldn't say that it's out of the question and there definitely might be a pesky journalists listening. So um, I, I, I look, I'd love to, to think that there were more people who purely or mainly act out of principle and their values here, but self-interest does, you know, impact on every individual. Yeah. And I think those conservative MPs who are in seats, who are currently not PV um, supporters, but in seats where it's basically a remain vote, uh, I think they would be number one on your list to target because there's a strong electoral imperative for them to do the right thing. And a lot of people value being MPs very highly. Yeah. I do. It's a massive privilege doing this job. Mm. Um, but it's, but it's you know, if, if it meant that I, well, put it this way you've got to put the, the nation first and it's a nice added push if you might keep your seats as mm-hmm. a result of doing that. So I would say that's one group. But I think secondly, there are a group who are former ministers who are not going to, they've got to the highest office they could possibly hope to in their political careers, probably won't stand again at the next election, um, who are in the business of what's my epitaph, what's my legacy? um and do they want to go out with the bang and having really made a mark and done the best by their nation like dominic grieve who's held in very very high regard across the house even by people who fundamentally disagree with him or do they just want to be this kind of quiet person who doesn't really make a big bang and do the right thing and sells off into the sunset into some non-executive you know directorship um and you know that that's that, those two groups the ex-ministers and the people in remain seats, I would say, need to be the top of the list. But yeah. frankly, in fair dues to the chancellor of Philip Hammond, He doesn't look like he's going to need too much encouragement. But let's give him
3: a little bit of a push. Yeah, Phil, yeah. Phil feels like he's going, he's going yeah. in the right way, doesn't he? He's
2: had a wild couple of weeks. Comments, why is not he? Yeah. Anyway, that is that is genuinely it. But thank you so much both for joining us today and also for supporting us over the last
4: pleasure. 14, and thank you, thank you to you months. guys for the incredible effort that you've done, having grown this. Um, this group, this organisation, from what it was when we first met and yeah. talked about yeah. the concept, to this incredible success that it's been—you know, all party Elbows. Thanks yeah. very much. Thank
2: you, and I hope you have a good rest of your week, day. Thank as you. Well.
4: Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Cheers, guys.
0: <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?